0: Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with John Fonville. We're in the middle of our series called The Glorious Second Coming of Jesus. You know, it's safe to say that Jesus doesn't come back in all His glory because human beings have made the world perfect again and we're all standing around looking up waiting for Him. Not according to the Bible. Some of the darkest times accompanied by the most epic religious deceptions will be happening. And since none of us know the exact day or hour of the second coming, we need to be filling our hearts and minds with Scripture so we're not caught up in the deception or fall into disillusionment. Here's Pastor John Fonville with the message he calls The Day of the Lord and the Man of Lawlessness, Part 3.
1: All right, so if you take your Bibles and turn to Second Thessalonians, we're going to continue our study this summer in the book of, this little book of 2 Thessalonians. It's just three chapters, and um, we slow down just a little bit here in chapter 2 because there's just so much here um, and it's, so it's very difficult to quickly go through uh, chapter 2 as quickly as we did chapter 1. We only did three messages in chapter 1. Believe that. It's a new record. Um, but chapter 2, we've got to slow down but just because there's so much here. So let me review with you just a little bit, give you some context so that you see where we are. Because we're looking at the Antichrist in chapter 2. So let me give you just uh, the 35,000-foot uh, view of the big picture. Uh, in contrast, as we've seen in this book, um, in contrast to much of contemporary teaching about the end times events, um, Paul's purpose in 2 Thessalonians is not to speculate about all these end-time events, but his purpose was pastoral. His purpose was to calm and comfort uh, believers, very young believers who, who had become um, upset, shaken, he says, shaken and alarmed in their faith because of false teachers who had come into the church and were plaguing the church with false teaching about the return of Christ. Um, We know that the return of Christ is the hope of the gospel. I'll come back to that. It is the hope of the gospel. It is the consummation of all of God's saving work in redemptive history. And we know that it's going to occur, that it's not, you know, maybe some of you have been struggling with the whole idea that Jesus is going to come back and um, it just seems so fanciful and, uh, you know, like science fiction movie or something, that This is, just seems so kind of strange, but remember that right before his ascension, two angels came to the disciples. And they speak to the, the disciples, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So this isn't science fiction. Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, uh, Paul's point here is that uh, you're not going to miss it. You can be comforted, uh, young Thessalonian believers, that these false teachers that have shaken and alarmed your faith, I can promise you, when Jesus comes again, you will not miss this. And so he's calming and comforting these, uh, these believers, and he does it. Uh, look at verse 3. He comforts the Thessalonians because he reminds them of of two unmistakable events, two signs that must take place before the Lord returns. He says um, in verse 3, he says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, that is when Christ returns, will not come, and here are the two events. Uh, He says, Unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So these two events have to take place prior to the return of Christ. And since the, the Paul's reasoning, his pastoral reasoning is, because these haven't taken place, you can take comfort. You haven't missed the event. And so the, the day of the Lord, he says, will not come unless this rebellion occurs first. That is, this great end-time apostasy that will take place in the church. A great falling away from the faith will occur in the visible church amongst professing believers in the visible church. And this falling away from the faith occurs in connection with the revelation of the man of lawlessness, which is Antichrist. And so the second point that Paul makes is he comforts these believers, and he says the day of the Lord will not come unless the man of lawlessness is revealed. So the questions that we've been looking at is, is this man of lawlessness is Antichrist, the Antichrist? So how do we to recognize this man, not fall prey to his deception? Uh, What will he be like? What will he do? Who will he lead in the rebellion? Um, And what is his final outcome or fate? So Paul answers all of these questions in chapter 2, verses 3 to 12. And here he outlines for us five features of the, of the Antichrist, five features, and that's what we looked at, started looking at last week. Uh, in verses 3 to 4, last week we spent time looking at the character of the Antichrist, which Paul tells us here. He says that he has... Um, uh, he reveals to us that this, this antichrist, this satanically empowered hand-time figure, what will he be like? Well, he tells us that he's going to be a counterfeit, a counterfeit Christ. He's, he's going to look like the real thing, but in the end, he is a counterfeit and then Paul describes him as a man of lawlessness. He is characterized by lawlessness. And we saw from the book of Daniel how this Antichrist will appear on the scene. And he will begin to change the morality, the moral will of God in the Bible. And he'll rewrite the Bible's morality and teach a different standard of God's law in the church. And we, we saw examples of that last week, how that is already occurring And then Paul says, third, that he is the son of destruction. He is doomed to divine judgment. And then lastly, uh, he says the Antichrist is a usurper of God. Look at verse 4. It says that he opposes and exalts himself against every so god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So. The Antichrist enters into the temple of God, that is the church, and he, he, he sets himself forth as God, and he demands to be worshiped, and so he commits the ultimate act of lawlessness, which is idolatry. He breaks the first commandment, you shall worship no other God, you shall have no other God before me. And then he leads his rebellion, and he leads these false professors in the church to commit also this act of lawlessness, this act of idolatry, the breaking of the first commandment. And so that's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to look at two other features of the Antichrist. Look at verses 9 and 10. This is the activity of the, of the man of lawlessness. What will he do when he appears? We'll look at verses 9 and 10, and look what Paul says. Paul says, he says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. So, what when the Antichrist is revealed? What will he do in the church? How can we recognize his activity? Well, Paul says to sum it up, the main activity of this man of lawlessness is to deceive many within the visible church on a massive scale. And he will deceive many professing believers in the visible church by satanically empowered false signs and wonders. He is going to lead a, quote, counterfeit revival in the church. His false, deceptive work is foremost in the Apostle Paul's mind. Let no one deceive you. We're going to come back to that. Let no one deceive you. And he's speaking of Satan and and Satan's chief uh, agent, which is this man of lawlessness working in the church. So let's look at this activity first. Paul says the activity of the Antichrist will be satanically empowered. He says that the Antichrist will incarnate Satan's character in his person more than anyone who's lived yet in human history. Um, Let me just say a couple things about Satan. Satan, his personal name is Lucifer in the scriptures. And at one time, Satan, the Bible teaches, was the most glorious and powerful angel of God's creation. Yet, the scriptures teach that Satan was filled with pride. And then he plotted and attempted this heavenly rebellion against God. And so Satan is this personal figure behind every Antichrist, John says in 1 John 2.18, that has come into the church. He is the personal figure behind every Antichrist in the biblical narrative since Genesis chapter 4 and the murder of Cain and Abel, the story of the murder of Cain murdering his brother Abel. So Satan is presented in the Bible as the chief opponent of God who is seeking to destroy the seed of the woman promised in Genesis 3.15 because this seed of the woman will ultimately crush his head. And so he has been seeking to lead a rebellion against God and God's people ever since. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he calls him the God of this world who has blinded the minds of humanity. Uh, the Bible sets forth over and over again that the devil, the Satan, is the chief instigator of all human rebellion against God. And so Paul tells us that Satan is the one who is working through the man of lawlessness, empowering him to lead a final end-time rebellion apostasy in the visible church. And look what Paul says here. He says that the coming of the Antichrist is in accordance with the activity, the powerful energy of Satan. This Greek word is where we get the English word energy from. Look at verse nine. He says, "The coming of the lawless one." Now, the word "coming" is important because back in verse one, look what Paul says. He says, "Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ." That's the Greek uh, word "parousia," which means coming. <clears throat> which means coming the the second advent, the second coming of Christ. This is important because. Um, the coming of Antichrist, Paul says, will be Satan's attempt to counterfeit the second coming of Christ. And we know from the scriptures that Satan's chief desire and strategy, what is it? His chief desire and strategy is to blind people to the truth of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says... In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What is his chief strategy in your life? To keep you from hearing and receiving and believing in Christ through the gospel. Blinding people to this truth through false deception And so it comes as no surprise that Paul would tell us that Satan, in the future, is going to empower with his energy, his powerful activity, this man of lawlessness who will come and corrupt the hope of the gospel, the second coming of Christ. And he'll do this to lead sinners away from the light of the gospel in the church. Now, how will he do this? Well, to make Antichrist's coming appear as the genuine thing, as the genuine second coming of Christ, Paul says Satan will empower this evil man to perform all kinds of impressive, alluring, yet counterfeit false miracles, signs, and wonders. So this leads us to the second activity of the Antichrist, is that his activity will be characterized by false signs and wonders in the church. Look at verse nine. Paul says that Antichrist's counterfeit second coming will be accompanied by a display, a visible display, look what Paul says, of all power. That word power means miracles. And false signs and wonders. Why is this important? Because in Jesus' first coming, what did what what did Jesus do to authenticate who he was and what he had come to do? Authenticating miracles, signs, and wonders were a key part of Jesus' activity during his earthly ministry. Let me give you an example. In his gospel, the apostle John uses the word sign over and over and again. And the word sign means miracles. And these, he shows you that these signs that Jesus performed, these miracles, were intended to demonstrate and clearly reveal to people that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God come to save man from their sin. And so to lead unbelievers to saving faith in Christ. Let me just give you one example in John chapter 2. Uh, Jesus performs his, John says, his first sign, his first miracle at the wedding in Cana when he turned water into wine. But in verse 11, John says, this is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and through it, he manifested his glory. And because of that, his disciples believed in him. So the purpose of Jesus' performance of signs and wonders of miracles was to authenticate his identity and lead people to saving faith in him. In contrast to what Paul says, the purpose of the signs of these false signs and wonders by the Antichrist is to deceive people into worshiping him as a true God. Look at verse 4 again. He will oppose and exalt himself against every so god or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, that is the church, the visible church, and he proclaims himself to be God. And he will seek to authenticate his proclamation that he is God by performing these false signs and wonders. And it will be for the purpose of instigating a massive rebellion against the true God in the visible church. And so Satan himself is empowering the Antichrist to perform these false miracles. So we must not forget that it is within Satan's ability, his energy, his power, to perform supernatural signs and wonders. But Paul says in verse 9, he says that Satan is equipped with this energy, But the difference between Jesus's and Satan's miracles works not in their ability, but in their motives. The aim of Jesus's miracles was authentication and salvation, whereas the aim of Satan's miracles through this man of lawlessness is deception and rebellion. Jesus' aim was to lead people to faith and to keep God's law. The, the, The man of lawlessness, this lawless one, his aim is to lead people to worship him, break the first commandment, and thereby be lawless, break God's commandments in the church and commit idolatry. And so this is why Paul describes this miraculous activity of antichrist as false signs and wonders. They're not false because they're not real. They're real, but they're false because of their motive behind it. And so this leads us to a third description of his activity. Look at verse 10. Paul says that his miraculous activity will be carried out, verse 10, with wicked deception. Wicked deception. Verse 10. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception. His display of supernatural acts originates from falsehood with the intention to deceive. Um, In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus describes the character of Satan and he calls him a liar. He says he is a liar. And so, of Satan, when he speaks of Satan, Jesus says there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15, Jesus warns against the deception of false teachers. And listen to what he says. He says, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves." In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul is warning the Corinthian church um, against false teachers that are in their midst. And listen to what he describes them. He says, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen. You see that? Deceitful workmen. Disguising themselves as apostles of Christ and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. False teachers who are empowered by Satan, who are empowered but what Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians 2 is this mystery of lawlessness. They never profess to be what they really are in the visible church. If false Teachers came into the church to profess what they really were, they would lose their objective, right? False teachers never walk into the church on Sunday morning from the pulpit or in, you know, catechism class or whatever and announce everybody, everyone, I'm here to deceive you this morning, and I'm, I'm here to lead you to condemnation and ultimate destruction. So please open your Bibles and let me teach you some deceitful falsehood. It never works like that. They ne- false teachers, false doctrine, this mystery of lawlessness that Paul talks about that is at work in the church, never appears to be your mortal enemy. Never. They ne- it never appears to be opposing your salvation. False teachers and Satan always make use Calvin says of, quote, Some cloak of truth for the purpose of deceiving and ensnaring us. Every false teaching in the church has a cloak of truth to it, or else it wouldn't be accepted. Calvin says this, that Satan does not immediately show his horns. Not that he has horns, but he's just making the point that he's evil. But Satan does not immediately show his horns, but rather makes it his endeavor to appear as an angel of light. Calvin also observes that Satan and false teachers, this mystery of lawlessness, this spirit of antichrist that is at work in the church now, he says, gives poison to drink in a golden cup. Gives poison to drink in a golden cup. And so therefore, we must always be on our guard against masks in the church. Satan is a liar, and deception lies at the root of all he calls, Paul calls his wicked activity through this man of lawlessness. And his goal is to lead this end-time rebellion. Why? Because his goal, which, was, which led to his eventual fall, is to take God's place in the church and to be worshipped, verse 4. And then to lead a rebellion again against God's people. And so Satan will stop at nothing to deceive as many people as possible by every means as possible by opposing to everyone as being the real thing. And so this deceptive activity of the Antichrist is already at work in the church, and Paul says it will culminate one day in the revealing of this man of lawlessness. But until then, he is being restrained. So let's look at this, second, this third feature uh, of the man of lawlessness. So that's the activity, but now we're going to look at the restraint. Look at verses 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed." So here, this is the restraint of this lawless man. He's not come yet, and he's being restrained. Now, look at verse 5. Paul is mildly rebuking these young believers because he tells them, you should already know about the restraint of the men of lawlessness because it was part of this instruction that I had given you already during my previous visits. He says to them in verse 5, he says, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And so Paul repeats the fact that Antichrist's deceptive activity is currently being restrained. At the present time, antichrist deceptive activity is partial and it is incognito in the visible church. It is working verse 7 he says through this mystery of lawlessness that is already at work in the church. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 18, John speaks of the same thing using different terminology and he says many antichrists have already come. And so both Paul and John say that this mystery of lawlessness that is at work in the church, this spirit of antichrist, these antichrists that have already come, it's anyone in the church who's spreading heresy, false teaching.
0: Thanks, John. We're looking forward to part four of this message next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at paramountchurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.